Thank you, Marco, for those heartfelt prayers. And um, it's so wonderful, isn't it, that we don't walk this journey alone and we have a God who hears our prayers, no matter what those prayers might be, whether it's a prayer of praise or it's a pleading prayer or a desperate prayer. God hears us because he loves us so much. And thank you, Vicky, for your sharing. Um, um, I was... I couldn't be here for camp, and so I totally missed the whole, um, I don't know, the, the significance and all that. But when I came back, I remember stepping into the, the auditorium. I was like, wow, who did that? Because <laughs> it's just beautiful. And thank you all for um, how meaningful it is. Um, yeah, I'm so glad to be here. One fish among the many fishes here doing live together. Um, and sharing Jesus Christ together. Yeah, see, listening to you, listening to Marco, it makes me quite emotional too. So, um, but I'm so glad to be here, so glad to be bringing the word today. Um, and I'm going to give us a very quick recap before we dive into our passage today. So we started our Galatians series in the beginning of May. Can you believe it? Now it's already mid, well, coming to the end of July. So we started at the beginning of May, working through the letter section by section. In the first part of the letter, Paul spent a lot of time defending the gospel, working through some very complex theological arguments to make his point. The overall theme being Jesus Christ is all we need to belong to God's family. Because in Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, male nor female. And then, in the last two chapters of the letter, chapters 5 and 6, Paul zooms in onto the more practical stuff. How does one love? Especially in the context of disagreements between fellow believers in God's family. Like what Vicky said just now, we're all different, but we are together. You know, swimming together, but maybe sometimes somebody gets into my space and I'm like, excuse me, you know, move or something. You know, so the... You know, how do we love in the context of disagreements in God's family? Because the Galatian church has been divided over the issue of circumcision, and they haven't been treating one another very well. And so Paul reminds them of the importance of love for one another. He says in Galatians 5 verse 6 that the only thing that matters in faith working through is faith working through love. And John Tang preached on that last week on how we are free to love. Love. And today we're going to continue with this theme of love, looking at what it means to love in practice and why that is so important for the Church of Christ. Let's turn to the Word of God, reading from Galatians 5, verses 13 to 26. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. However, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, 
Live by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other, so that you cannot do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, cursing, and similar things. I am warning you, as I had warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, being jealous of one another. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, you have given us your word as a light unto us so that we might know how to live, so that we might know what it means to look like you, so that we might know what it means to do relationship together so that we might know you. Lord, um, love is a difficult thing. And you have not called us to do it alone. You said you will walk with us as we learn to love. And we thank you for that. Thank you for your word. Amen. So um, just recently, I was having a conversation with a very good friend, and we were on, on the topic of Christians slandering and destroying one another. Um, and he made a comment. He said, yes, we are our worst enemy. When this is within the church, the devil doesn't need to do anything. You know, in Revelation 12.10, Satan is described as the accuser of God's people. And too often, we do his work for him. See, when the world sees Christians biting and devouring one another, they don't see the God who came in the person of Jesus Christ to set people free from sins. When believers who claim to be living in freedom still act like they are enslaved by the behaviors, the agendas, and the patterns of the world, the Christian witness is compromised. Paul describes these behaviors and patterns as the works of the flesh. Now, what are the works of the flesh? You know, uh, for many of us, we instinctively think of flesh, sucked in Greek, as the physical body, and works of the flesh as mostly sexual sins. You know, it's the immediate go-to. But works of the flesh are more than sexual sins. 
flesh has to do with our fallen or corrupt nature. And so acting in the flesh means acting according to our sinful nature or the old nature, in contradiction to God and His good ways. So it is how it's like how one lived before Christ, before becoming a Christian, the old ways. And so in this list here, Paul gives us some examples of what the works of the flesh could generally include, and they are more than sexual sins, as you can see. But what is interesting here is that his list here, um, there are eight out of 15 of the works of the flesh are sins of discord within the community of faith. The red ones. And it is not surprising. Remember, Paul is dealing with community strife in the Galatian church, the biting and the devouring of one another over the issue of circumcision. And Paul says, look, this kind of behavior is incompatible with the spirit-led life. And he contrasts the two ways of living, of being. So now the works of the flesh are these things, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. They are not compatible. That's why he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is this and this and that. It is one way or the other, the old way of living versus the new way, the pre-Jesus way and the post-Jesus way. The before you have the Holy Spirit way and the after you have the Holy Spirit way. And so he appeals to the Galatian believers. He says, Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, being jealous of one another. In other words, it's like saying, hey, you guys, don't act according to your pre-Jesus perspective and your pre-Jesus values. It is as if you haven't known Christ, but you already belong to Jesus, and he has already given you the Holy Spirit. So behave like spirit-led people and not fleshly people. Love one another. Love one another. Do not destroy one another. Through love, serve one another, as he says in the beginning. Now let's take a moment to dwell on this sense of one anotherness in the family of Christ that Vicky alluded to just now in her sharing. Um, you know, scriptures take seriously this phrase, one another. You know, it's derived from the one Greek word, alelon, which occurs 100 times in the New Testament. And more than half of them are teachings about how not to relate to one another, how to and how not to relate to one another. And here are some examples. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. Encourage one another. We belong to one another. Outdo one another in showing honour. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Seek good for one another. 
serve one another, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't lie to one another. This, um, this reminds me a little bit of what Vicky said just now about giving in and giving up for the sake of unity. You know, this is just a short selection, but doesn't this paint a beautiful picture of what the body of Christ could, should look like? If the community of believers is the face of Jesus to the world, how beautiful would that face be? Paul describes such a beautiful face in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. And what is the fruit of the Spirit anyway but the character of God? It is not a list of things for us to check off. It is the character of God. Being formed in the body of Christ, the body of Christ looking like Jesus. You know, we often consider the fruit of the Spirit as an individual thing, Am I, Brenda, displaying the fruit of the Spirit? But there is also a huge communal element here. So, we have, I mean, I, I have to ask, am I, Brenda, um, showing the fruit of the Spirit in my life? But we also have to ask, are we, in how we do relationships with each other, collectively displaying the fruit of the Spirit? See, it's a beautiful thing when people on the outside experience um, the church as, um, okay, I'll give you an example. Okay, like, oh, have you met Marco? She's really, really nice. Or, uh, oh, have you met Jenny? You know, you know she's so kind. Those are all beautiful things, um, you know, when people experience us this way. But it's even more beautiful. It's an even more beautiful thing when people go, Oh, you know, these community church people, have you seen how they love each other? You know, they're so different from each other, but have you seen how they love on each other? Have you seen how they are so kind to one another, even when they are working their differences out? Do you see the difference? And it's not either or, it's both and. Because I... Maybe I really like this one person. I can be really nice to this one person and turn around and be a really unkind person uh, to, to other people. Um, and so there's the, the consistency there that is very important. Together, we are the body of Christ to the world. Together, we show what God is like to the world. And also, the fruit of the Spirit cannot be meaningfully cultivated without community. It is in the coming together of people who are so different from one another that our love, our patience, our kindness, our gentleness can be challenged and tested. With people who are like me, you know, who thinks like Brenda, who sees the world like Brenda, it's so much easier for me to be loving, to be patient, to be kind, and to be gentle, and so on. But with people who are not like me, people who disagree with me, it is much harder, don't you think? So, do I stick to people who are like me? People that I like, because really it's so much easier to be fruitful that way. No, we are called to be a family. 
with all our differences, different, uh, our differences and preferences, we are called to be a family. People who are different, different colors, different shapes and sizes, all coming together. And you know what, though? It's okay to disagree with one another. Sometimes we labor under the false impression that as Christians, we have to pretend to agree with one another even when we don't. But disagreement itself is not wrong. In fact, it is healthy to disagree, and it is very much part of the growth journey of being in community. Because we are the body of Christ with diverse giftings and personalities, we must allow each other to bring the needed gifts and insights. It is how we learn. It is how we sharpen each other. It is how we practice discernment together. Did you say you want to paint the wall blue? No, I think it should be red. Oh, why is it red? No, I think it should be yellow. You know, you just work through that process. And on different levels, you know, you do that every time you make a decision in maybe your life group or in your ministry group. The Spirit uses many ways and works with our disagreements to bring, to bring things about. See, even a vigorous debate can help the body of Christ discern the way forward, like what we see with the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. And you have any Jewish friends? We have a Jewish member here. You can perhaps ask them how debating is so very much part of their culture and is done passionately with the understanding that it's an iron sharpening iron kind of thing. Something like how a person's beliefs must be exposed to the truth of others because disagreements can help uncover blind spots and sometimes even our character weaknesses. Nothing like disagreements and conflicts. to help us realize how we respond under pressure. So disagreements can help us to grow and to mature. And disagreement is not in itself a work of the flesh. What is of the flesh is the biting and devouring of each other in the midst of a disagreement. When facing disagreement, there is a righteous way as well as a sinful way to engage. A spirit-led way or the fleshly way. We can choose to act in love while working out um, the differences and conflicts or we can indulge in hostilities and factions while doing so. But of course, easier said than done. More often than not, we end up somewhere in between as we fumble our way through this journey, sometimes choosing the Holy Spirit way, sometimes indulging in the flesh. That is the journey. You know, when I was preparing for this sermon, this, actually, especially yesterday, this picture of me behaving in a certain fleshly way kept coming to mind, and I kept cringing. You know, it's been so long, and yet, yeah, yesterday it just kept popping into my head, and, and I was like, okay, okay, let me think about this. And so I'm going to share this with you, you know, and this is not a picture of a disagreement I had with someone, but it 
on many levels, it really it marked the beginning of a lifelong journey of discovery and growth for me. So I came to Jesus via a life-changing, spirit-filling, tongue-speaking, mighty deliverance sort of way. And thereafter, I worshipped at a church um, in Singapore that would be best described as Pentecostal. I love Jesus. I was passionate. I was fervent. A Sunday worship was carried out in a certain way, you know, lots of energy, many, many songs, I mean many. Um, and lots of hands up there, lots of jumping, lots of amen. And we felt like we were so filled with the Spirit. And for me, that was what being filled with the Spirit should look like. It was all I know. Then I left that church when I went overseas at the age of 16. First, well, I went first to Melbourne, you know, where I naturally gravitated towards something similar, another Pentecostal church. Now, save for some minor cultural differences and that the fact that they sang many, many, many more Hillsong songs, it mostly confirmed my bias of what a spirit-filled church should look like. Then, after six years, I made my way over to Bristol in the UK. I first attended a charismatic church. And then, because I helped to start an overseas students' fellowship group there, I thought I should visit other churches too, so we could have a list of churches for new students coming in. So I visited this proper um, high church, first time in a high church, very formal, with lots of liturgy and, and, and hymns. There was little to no spontaneity at all. And I came out of the service thinking, oh my goodness, these people are so spiritually dead. <laughs> and then, onto another church. Remember, I was doing my, my, my church exploration? Onto another church, not a high church, but a small, quiet neighborhood church. And I came out thinking, oh my, dead church. And with all my research done, I proudly shared my findings and evaluations with my then mentor, very wise lady, uh, someone whom I've grown to love and respect. And I was like, self-righteously dissing this church and that church, thinking that I was doing a favor for God, guarding his people, you know. And she looked at me with pain in her eyes. See, I still had the picture in my head. Brenda, dear... She said, Jesus loves his church. I said, huh? <laughs> you know, I, I love Jesus, you know. No, Jesus loves his church and his people. You don't condemn what Jesus loves. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. At that moment, I was overcome with shame. Um, yeah, like, because... I went in thinking, oh my goodness, look at this, man. I've, I've got this. And so, uh, and now thinking back, I still cringe, you know. Um, I don't know whether you have cringy moments. Um, I have some cringy moments, and this one, yeah, every time I think of it, I cringe. Um, like, I can't believe I said that. Um, you know, all done with good intention, but so unloving, so unkind, so self-righteous, so arrogant. I cringe not because of what my mentor said to me. She loved me, and, 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 and I really appreciated what she said. But I cringe because now, so many years later, more than two decades later, I look back and I realize just how much 
I did not know how easily I jumped into conclusions, how my fervent love for Jesus did not translate into loving my brothers and my sisters. I can't believe I said what I said in that tone of voice. You know, you know there's a to- kind of tone of voice where if you hear other people and then you go, ugh. Yeah, so, so I felt like I was very, I so put off by myself. And why am I telling you this? Well, because it kept coming to mind yesterday and I couldn't get it out of my head. But also, I wanted to tell you that this is a journey that all of us do together with love in grace. And the journey keeps going. For me now, five geographical locations and nine churches later, before, until I came to Hong Kong, I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm, you know, because every time I go to a new space, it's like, whoa, what? You, you do it that way? Oh, wow. Um, this is shocking. But I keep learning. And what I wanted to uh, share with you um, to end this time together is um, just a few tips, okay, from my own journey, my wrestling with scripture, my wrestling with, (laughs) but God, I'm doing it for you, Uh, you know, all that. Um, How, so I want to share with you a few tips on how to live, how to love in the midst of working through differences or when facing a disagreement. Seven all together. First one, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I know that we all know this. I know that. But then, how many of us actually do that? You know, um, more often than not, I think we are quick to speak and slow to listen. And when we listen, we don't truly listen because we already have something in the arsenal trying, waiting to shoot. So, you know, learn to listen and be slow to anger. And that for me um, has taken years. I used to be very reactive when I was, you know, very early on. Um, But yeah, but God is good. Um, And we ask, what's the orientation of my heart? What's my motivation? What's going on in here? You know what, nothing is hidden from God. It may even be hidden from you because sometimes we, we, we want to believe what we want to believe. Um, but it's important to check, you know, what's going on in here. What am I trying to prove? You know, if we dig a little bit deeper, we will frequently find pride, self-righteousness, and self-elevation. And then we also ask, is this a matter of personal preference? We all have biases. I went into those churches thinking, it should be this way. But let's not make a personal preference into God's gold standard. Resist fleshly behavior. Choose the way of the Spirit. Pray for strength. You know, if we are honest with ourselves, sometimes before you uh, blurt out something, there's always a check in the Spirit. Um, And sometimes you want to pay attention to that. And let charity and integrity guide you in your conversations. It requires that we start from a humble posture. And it requires that we speak with integrity. I know it's really hard sometimes, especially we don't want to 
offend people, but there are ways to do it that are not offensive. But it's important to speak with integrity, meaning mean what you say and say what you mean. And repent if you have behaved in a fleshly behaviour. All of us at some point would have said some unkind things to others or about others. And if we didn't say it, we would have thought it. Last one. Forgive, forgive, forgive and forgive. Forgive one another and keep on forgiving. Forgive those who have hurt you. Forgive yourself for hurting another. You know, when we swim together like this, when we do life like this, we will hurt each other. So we forgive. Forgive those cringe-worthy things you have said or done because there is forgiveness and new life in Christ Jesus. Let us pray as we come to the table. God, we, um, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you have called us to be your one body. We thank you that no matter how different we are to each other, we have you in the center. You have called us to love one another deeply. It's not always easy, but you have called us to do that. And you have, not done, you have not called us to do that without help. You've given us your Holy Spirit. And you've given us your grace and your mercy and forgiveness, all of that. So help us, strengthen us, fill us every day with your Holy Spirit so that we can walk in your holy way. So that the world might see who you are when they see us so that when they see us, they see light shining through a world of darkness that's screaming out for hope. And when we mess up, Lord, you're always there to forgive because you love us so much. You love us so much that you went all the way, came all the way down and all the way to the cross and through the cross so that we my experience, true forgiveness and true freedom. We thank you, God. As a community, we can fall and fail and doubt and question and get upset and all of that. But we get to do this together because we are united in you. We do this knowing that we all are in need of grace and that grace is offered in equal measures to us all because you died for each one, each person here. So as we share in this table today, um, this table that reminds us of just what you did and this, this table that reminds us that there's one loaf, one body and together we worship the one Lord, in one spirit, help us to love one another even more deeply. Amen.